begin by uh, telling you uh, about a friend of mine named Danny Lopez. Uh, I met Danny first uh, and Al together. We were in different cabins. He uh, was a youth ministry from Falkville, Alabama. It was one of my first years being in Alabama and being a youth ministry, a youth minister. And as I kind of watched Danny, I saw this really tall guy, kind of fun-loving. His, his students really seemed to like him. He seemed to be really well-respected. And, and I, I believe that he helped uh, uh, come up with this game called Tower of Tubes, which is just a legendary game in the, the state of Alabama, Church of God, and the state of Alabama at church camp. Basically, you take all of these tractor tire tubes and you throw it in the middle of this huge mud pit and then you have four groups of students on each side of this mud pit, a group over here, a group over here, a group over here, and a group over here. And there are these teams, and you say go, and everybody just runs to the mud pit. And the team that gets the most tubes back to their side basically wins. It's pretty much all-out war. We actually had to, like, a couple of years later, after he no longer was a youth minister, we had to set these rules because people were going to the hospital from it, um, getting concussions. That's not a joke. Uh, it was either eliminate Tower of Tubes or figure out a way to keep people from getting concussions because it was during the time where concussions were like the end. I, I, I'm not big on concussions, but it was, it was during the time where if you got a concussion, you were dying, you know. Um, we're still kind of in that area now. But either way, like that, he, he helped do all of that. And so uh, through the years, I, I started to get to know Danny a little bit and, and started to learn his story and uh, a little bit about him. I'll, I'm always curious on how people end up in ministry or how they're called to ministry. And uh, I, I was talking to Danny one day and he began to tell me his testimony. I said, Josh, I was actually working for a fairly uh, big uh, company and I had worked my way up really quickly. He said, I was making a lot of money. I was living in a big house. Uh, I was driving my cars of choice, which for him were BMWs. He said, I had, I ha had the motorcycle that I wanted and, and was just really loving life. And then I got involved in the local church and he said, I started just driving the, the church van, the church bus, and, and picking kids up and, and taking them to youth. And then uh, eventually he found himself teaching the youth and, and kind of more and more involved. And he said at some point there in the midst of all of that, he just felt God call him to ministry. And so, all right, Danny, you're no longer going to be doing these other things as a vocation, as your work, but I'm calling you to ministry. So some, at some point, I think it was in his late 20s, early 30s, he decided that I'm going into ministry full-time and became a full-time youth minister while he's a full-time youth minister. Unfortunately, one of his students got pregnant while in high school, and so uh, he walked through that pregnancy with, with her and said, you know, make sure that you keep the child. I'm going to adopt the child. So he and his wife uh, adopted that child and started having children of his own. And then as he continued to just kind of be aware of what the Lord was doing in his life, he believed the Lord was calling him into missions. And so he was trying to figure out where and was kind of traveling to different places. And he ended up in Guatemala at one point. And he said he believed that God had just called him to that place. And so he went back to his home church there and he said, I am going to become a missionary. God has called me to missions and I am going to go to Guatemala. Shortly after he left for Guatemala, I wanted to go visit him and I wanted to take a uh, getting started. And so 
I, along with several other students, was basically his first team uh, that he had ever had there in Guatemala after he started his ministry there. And we're, we're at this gas station. And uh, we just obviously got done filling up with gas. Uh, and we're getting ready to pull out. And if you've ever been to basically almost any other non-Western country and uh, driven, um, the, like the, the, the traffic laws are more or less suggestions. Uh, it, it's, it's, it, it's, it's pretty crazy um, just driving anywhere else in the world, especially in a, in a place like Central America. Uh, I mean, motorcycles are always weaving in and out. Cars are just kind of doing whatever they, they, they want to do. Half the time, people doing the same. Um, it, it's, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's, it's crazy. So we're getting ready to pull out of this gas station and uh, as we get ready to pull out of this gas station, this gas station sits like on a really like hairpin turn. And so we're just kind of easing out, trying to like wait for our, our, our turn to go. And as we ease out, this motorcycle comes around the corner and hits the side of our Jeep Cherokee. The guy on the motorcycle goes flying across the hood and onto the ground. And you can kind of, I mean, he was going pretty fast and just kind of slides off onto the road there. And, and so we, we stop and we look at Danny, we're like, oh no, what just happened? And he's like, we just, the guy just hit us. And so he, he gets out and he goes over to the guy on the ground and he's helping him. And, and, you know, we're waiting for the authorities to, to get there. And he comes back to the car and he said, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of Americans and they say, basically, if you get in a wreck or anything like this down here, you should just leave. Uh, because what people, he said, what people might try to do is, is try to extort us or you're kind of guilty until proven innocent. He's like, but I just don't feel like I can do that. And like, all right, Danny, like, this is you, we're, we're on your trip. And so we stick around and all of these officers show up and, um, I mean, they're like heavily armed. They, they have like M16 type stuff. I don't think they're actually M16s. I'm sure they're like knockoffs or something, but I mean, these are like real weapons, and they eventually come up to Danny and they're talking to him. And, and uh, Danny comes back and he says, they're, they're taking me to jail. And, oh, okay. And he's like, well, why are they taking you to jail? And he said, well, uh, the man over there who hit us, I hit, has, you know, is clearly an accident. Um, the, the officers are saying that I, I took money out of his backpack. And uh, so we're like, all right. So they take Danny to jail and uh, he keep trying to tell him that he took this money and that he needs to pay all this money to basically get out of prison. And he's trying to tell him, I'm a missionary. I just moved here. I don't have any money. Um, and eventually he, he spent about six to eight hours in prison before they let him out. Thank God they let him out. He paid a, a lump sum to, to kind of get out of jail. That was my first trip down there. And as I continue to keep up with Danny and just kind of listen to some of the things that he does and even some of the things that he's going through, uh, I know recently he and his family were just dewormed. That's what it sounds like, right? Uh, last year, I had fairly major oral surgery without being put under and like not the greatest of pain meds. Yeah. He got COVID a couple months ago, and 
he was doing fairly fine, recovered fine, but now he's on an oxygen machine and, and, and kind of struggling with some of that. We actually, as a church, we sent him some extra money to help pay for that machine this past week. Uh, you know, you think about, or at least I think about somebody like Danny, and I'm just kind of really humbled by this. And as you maybe think about somebody like Danny, I think we should all kind of ask the question, like, why does somebody uh, like that, or why does anybody, for that matter, do what he does? And I, I didn't ask Danny this. I mean, I think he, he, he genuinely feels called by God. But I think if you just boil it down to, to one word, I do think he would say this because I see it in him when I'm around him. He would say he does it because of love. He, he would say he, he does it because of love. Danny, if you go walking just down the streets with Danny there in Guatemala, all these kids will be running up to him. And he'll just be kissing them and hugging them. I was not surprised at all when he got COVID because that's what... He does. Danny loves God and he loves people. And Danny loves people because God loves him and God has put it in his heart to do the same. You know, as we think about Christmas and we think about Advent and as we celebrate Christmas this year, we have to acknowledge here that Christmas is about how God loves us and how God gives us the power to love other people. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke, Luke chapter 2, we begin in verse 6 here, and we're going to look at the story of Christmas. Beginning in verse 6, we're told, and while, while they were there, he's, they're talking, he's, the, the writer here, Luke, he, he's talking about Mary and Joseph, while they were there, and where's there? There's in the barn. Uh, so while they were there. The time came for her to give birth, this is Mary, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. So we all know that this firstborn son is Jesus. So she gives, Mary gives birth to Jesus in this barn and she's going to wrap Jesus in swaddling clothes. Now to us, that just seems like the natural thing to do, right? To a child, we're going to take a child and we're going to cover him or her up and, and wrap them up. But why do we do this? We do this so they'll sleep, all right? Thank you, right? But, but why else do we do this, right? We do this because if they, we don't, they will be cold. This is to protect the baby. Now, when we think of Jesus coming to earth here, uh, you have to realize, like, Jesus has never been cold before. He, he's never had to be swaddled. Like, he's never been uh, uncomfortable or anything like that. The, the, the elements are something we have to protect ourselves to. In many ways, like we are, we are subjected to creation. But here you have the creator, which creation is subjected to, or at least had been subjected to his entire existence. Now he subjects himself willingly to creation and, and many of the limits that creation puts on him here and to a certain extent and subjecting himself to that. Why? Because he is going to become like us in the way that he is born, in the way that he lives. So he continues here, and it says, and laid him in a manger. Now, it's really easy for pastors actually to make a little too much of this. It probably wouldn't have been that uncommon for a, a, a poor child to be laid in a manger. Like Jesus probably wasn't the first person to be laid in a manger. However, this still should not be lost on us. 
that, that Jesus, God's only son, right, the king of the universe, the creator here who was wrapped in swaddling clothes, is being put in a manger, a, a device used to feed animals is the place that he is going to be laid immediately after he is birthed to sleep, to rest, and to probably give his mom some time to recover. And then it goes on to say, because there was no, there was no place for him in the end. And, and, and so other people, as they are traveling for the census here, they have the comforts of being in an end, being in a place where people are actually meant to sleep, people are meant to rest, and Jesus shows up and he shows up and he's born in a barn and then he's placed in a manger. And what we see here is that Jesus doesn't choose to afford himself the comforts that we would have or anyone else most likely would have in this situation. We see here God leaving heaven for earth and he wasn't, he wasn't born in a place that's surrounded by servants or that is that comfortable, but instead in a stable with less comforts than most of our dogs currently have. Christmas, as we think about Christmas here, it's God leaving heaven for earth. Now, the interesting thing about heaven is that, (laughs) I tell people when they ask me, I guess, about heaven, is that, and I've told you all this before, is I just don't know that much about it. I mean, we, can, we can read a little bit about heaven. We can have ideas about heaven. But I've never been there, so I don't know much about it. The Bible doesn't actually talk about heaven a lot. It speaks of heaven. It gives us some descriptions of heaven, but not a lot of details. What we do know about heaven is there's going to be no more pain. There's going to be no more disease. There's going to be no more crying. There's going to be no more suffering. There's going to be no more COVID. There's going to be none of that. And as we think about babies being wrapped in swaddling clothes, uh, I assume babies are just going to be naked. Right? That's for you women. My wife loves naked babies. I only like them if I don't have to dress them. So, so naked babies everywhere in heaven. Sure. If that's what you want. Christmas is about Jesus being born into a world that is not heaven. Yes, this world is enough to give us glimpses of heaven, give us taste of heaven, give us a a desire for heaven, but there is also enough danger in this world, enough brokenness, that it can just as easily become a hell. Jesus is born into that kind of place. So here's the question. Why would Jesus leave the comforts of heaven for earth? And the answer to this is is fairly simple. It's the same answer I think if you push Danny on, he would say. It's because he loves you. It's because Jesus loves us. Let's continue on here in Luke 2, verses 8. It says, in the same region, there were shepherds. So Jesus is is born into this barn, and then the story continues. And in the same region, we find out that there are shepherds out in the field, and they're keeping watch over the flock. And the interesting thing about shepherds is, for the most part, they kind of live out under the stars. These are not wealthy people. These are very 
lowly people. I mean, they're kind of at the bottom of the barrel as far as society is, con- is concerned. They, they really, generally, they weren't really welcome even in the temple because they were, they were ceremonial, uh, uh, unclean. Their hygiene wasn't the best. They were typically uh, fairly dirty. And not only that, they were generally seen as untrustworthy. Shepherds weren't allowed uh, to give testimony in a court of law or anything like that. A lot of them probably would have come from broken families. Uh, they would have chosen this profession kind of to maybe get away from their family or just kind of get away from society in, in general. They probably didn't want to be around people. People generally look down on the shepherd class. And then what we're told is as they're out in the field, keeping watch over their flock, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. Now, if you're a shepherd or you're not a shepherd, you're caught off guard when an angel shows up. You, you just are. I've never had that happen. Uh, maybe some of you have. If you read through the Bible, people are always caught off guard by the angels here. But he, or the shepherds here, are going to be really caught off guard because they're certainly minding their own business. But what is happening here is that they're going to get, a, these dirty men are going to get the message of the Messiah who has come to them. They're not even welcome in the temple, right? The place where God is present. And yet God is going to send his presence to these men who basically... Who, who basically are, are not welcome in any type of royal place, any type of royal setting, and their lives are to basically to keep royal people well-fed and well-dressed. And so we're told here that these lowly people, these people who are, are, are kind of outcasts to a certain extent, that the glory of the Lord shone around them. And because the glory of the Lord shone around them, they were fe- filled with great fear. Now, they would be fearful for a number of reasons. When the glory of the Lord shows up, what happens is that God's holiness, God's weightiness, God's goodness shows up. And often what it does is it kind of spotlights our sin, our unworthiness. And so there's a reason for them to be afraid. Even Isaiah, a man of God, a prophet, when, when he's at the throne of God and surrounded by the glory of the Lord, basically he falls to his knees and says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And so when we're in the presence of God and, and we have a lot of sin in our life and we have a lot of brokenness in our life, we're going to naturally be afraid because of this perfection that is in front of us. But not only that, these people were looked down on by society. And so now God is showing up and obviously they're not going to feel any worth in front of God here and in front of his angel And so as this angel shows up, though, they have to be asking, as they're kind of filled with a a lot of fear here, here's a question that has to be kind of going through their heads, is why is this angel here? Why is he showing up to us? Is he here to judge us? Why is he here? Here's why he's here. It keeps going. It says, for the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news. I'm going to bring you the gospel. I'm going to bring you the good news of great joy that will be for all people. The angel is going to show up. He's going to tell to these men. He's going to announce the Savior to the lowest of low here. Shepherds, I know people look down on you, but there's good news. A child has come. A child has been born. 
<laughs> born in a barn, placed in a manger. And he's come for who? For all people. For people like you. For people like me. All people. God shows that he came for all people by starting at the bottom. Jesus makes, or the angel makes this announcement here about the most important person in human history by announcing it to people that are seemingly unimportant in human history. This is truly how we know that this is good news for everyone, regardless of your social status, uh, this is good news for you, regardless of who your friends are, who your neighbors are, those whom you love and those whom you hate. This, this is for them. And this is a picture of God's love. And what I, I believe we see here when we see Jesus being born in the barn, being placed in a manger, being born in, in human form here, having to be wrought, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and we think on the love of God and who he announces it to first, and as we contemplate what it means to love others this morning, as we think about the love of God, here's something that I want us all to think on and think about as we think how we are going to display this love to others and how this love has been displayed to us. Here's something that I believe that love requires of each and every person if they are going to love like God loves. And it's this, is that love requires humility. It does. Love requires humility. Jesus is born in a barn and placed in a stable. The first people that God announces the gospel to outside of Jesus' parents are shepherds. And God tells them that his love is for them. Love requires humility. And so as I was kind of contemplating on this and, and praying through this. I'm trying to, how does, how does this affect the way that I love others? Like what, what, what difference does this make in my life that love requires humility? And this is the phrase that kind of kept going through my head as I, I, I thought about humility and love requiring humility is, is simply this. It's that God's love is for them. I, I, I don't know who them is for you, but them could be whoever you don't love or how about this, whoever you feel superior to. Here's something we hear all over and over again, right? We, if we've heard the gospel, we know that God loves us. I know that God loves me. I mean, I have to keep telling myself that every once in a while, I'll get down on myself, kick my, you know, I mess up or whatever it might be, but I know that God loves me. But I have to tell myself from time to time that not only does God loves me, but God loves them. Something that people are really good about, I've discovered not everybody does this. I mean, some people, they're just so low, they're so beaten up, they're, they're, they're so broken uh, that they, they don't battle with this. Uh, but kind of a problem with the human condition is we all find ways to feel superior to other people. It's just something that we do. I, I've lived, I, I grew up in 
a kind of a more rural community and uh, growing up in a more rural community, you can find ways that you feel superior and better to, than people who don't, right? I can skin a buck, I can run a trout line. Like you find all those sorts of things, right? Country boy can't survive. Like I'm just better, like I can figure out that, like I'm better than those who grew up in suburbia or grew up in the inner city and vice versa. You know, we live in suburbia now. I can find ways I can look back to where I'm from and like, I, I, I'm, I'm better than those people. I have friends with a lot of money and I have friends with a little money. And what I discover is that both find reasons to think of themselves as better than somebody else. I studied in universities with liberal professors and with conservative professors and I find them struggling with this tension of why they are better than other people. I I, I know a lot of educated people. I know a lot of uneducated people. We find ways to say why we are superior to somebody else, white collar and blue collar, Democrats and Republicans, Christians, agnostics, Muslims. Like we find ways that we try to make ourselves superior. And I'm not saying that some ideas are not superior to other ideas or practices aren't superior to other practices. What I am talking about is people who make themselves superior to other people, who who place their worth above other human beings. And we do that, if we do this, we are in danger of not loving like Jesus loved. We see here that when the angel shows up to announce the gospel, that the good news is for all people. It's for all people. This is the story of Jesus' life, by the way, as he humbles himself to show his love. He becomes human. He's like this great leveling is the Christmas story for Jesus. You know, you just think about the life of Jesus while he was here. This is basically what the journey of Jesus's life is. It's from the manger to the cross. He's placed in a manger, a place where, where, where animals are fed, right? And then his journey is to a cross where criminals die, And all of this, his life, is characterized by love. And so this is why Paul, when he writes to the church and he writes to Christians who are struggling with this concept. And these are are actually the Philippian church. I'm going to read here from uh, Philippians. The Philippian church, by the way, was, was one of the better churches in the New Testament. They seem to have less problems than a lot of the other churches. But even Paul has to remind them of this. And this is what he says in chapter 2, verses 3 and 8. He tells this church, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now, it's, what I believe about that, if, if we do that, if we in humility count others more significant than ourselves, there will never be any thems, right? That we, that we just kind of push away. Like, we will always remember, right? That we'll have this kind of record playing in our head. I'm to love them. I'm to love them. I'm not to make myself better than them. It goes on to say, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but look also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. So there's a mind that we should have among ourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now we are told that 
the mind of humility, the mind of love, characterized by humility here, we actually have it. It's something that we possess. If we possess the gospel, if we possess the good news, if we, if we believe that Jesus Christ has come and he rules and reigns in our heart, we have this mind. We are humbled and we operate as humble people as we are being regenerated and led by the Holy Spirit. Like it, it's who we are. It's who we are becoming. And we have that power in us operating. It's ours. It belongs to us is what Paul says here. And he continues here and he says, who though he was found in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, poured out himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is Christmas. That is Christmas. Jesus is born in the likeness of men. This is how his humility is being displayed. This is Jesus coming to earth here and being found in human form. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus became like us. Why? So he could die for us. He became like us so that he could go to the cross, he could die in our place to pay our debt, what we owed to God. He gave his life for ours. This is why in John, as we think about the shepherds, Jesus is able to call himself the good shepherd. Jesus characterizes his love for his people as the good shepherd, someone who's going to be willing to lay down his life for a sheep. He says this in John 10, 11 through 13. I am the good shepherd. There are a lot of bad shepherds out there. If you read through the Old Testament, there are a lot of bad shepherds, shepherds that abandon their sheep. In many ways, sometimes pastors and priests, they are talked about shepherds that abandon their sheep in time of need. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not, owe, and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then a wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. So if you were a, a shepherd out uh, attending sheep, your job was to protect the sheep from attack, is to, to feed the sheep, to, to keep the sheep well-fed and well-loved. Um, but many shepherds, they, they abandoned the sheep. And I, I don't really blame them, by the way. They weren't getting paid a whole lot. They weren't well-respected by the people who actually own the sheep. I mean, why, why would you risk your life for some sheep here? But what we're told here is that as Jesus looks at his church, as he, as he looks at you, as he thinks about you, first and foremost, he sees you as one of his sheep. Like you, you, you belong to him. And, and Jesus isn't going to abandon you. He isn't going to run away from you. Jesus is keeping watch over you. He's there with you. He is walking with you. Think about the 23rd Psalm. Right? Although I walk through the valley of shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil. I will not fear the attacks. I, I, I will not fear everything that is going on right now in the world. I, 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 I will not fear the brokenness that is in my family. I will not fear the next decision that needs to be made. Why? Because this shepherd's rod and staff it comforts me. Jesus is leading us here. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. And, and this is partly what Christmas is about. It's Jesus who has come, who is the good shepherd, who is guiding us and loving us. And we are still his sheep. <laughs> Not the best thing to be called. I mean, even today, right? If you're, if you're called a sheep, it's just about being led around by anybody, being easily deceived. But Jesus uses it in a way and says, I, I love you, although you, you are not me. I am the shepherd, and he loved us not because we are superior, but because he is. And he suspended his superiority to show us his love and that he was willing to lay down his life for us. Sheep continues and says, the man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for his sheep. Jesus cares for his sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep will know me just as, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I want us to make sure that we see that Jesus has other sheep here. We see God's heart here. Now, give you a little context. Jesus here, he is talking to Jewish disciples, Jewish apostles here. And what he's saying, he's saying there are Gentile people, there are non-Jewish people here who are not a part of my fold yet. But I'm going to send you to them to let them know that they are going to become a part of my sheep. They're going to become a part of my family. They're going to hear about my love for them. And what I want you to see is just simply God's heart here is that there are people about who Jesus loves who are not part of his people. And it is our job as we celebrate Christmas to love people in the type of way that God loves them so that they would become a part of his people so they become a part of his flock. He says, I must bring them in also is the next thing that he says here, right? Listen, that's, that is Jesus's mission. I must bring them in here also. This is what he sends his followers out to do. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Jesus gave his life to show us how much he loves us. He gave up his life so that we would become a part of the family of God. 
He loved us that much. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. It is our job, those of you who believe that, to love others so that we can bring others into the flock. Now, you don't have to be a missionary like Danny. But every Christian, every Christian is called to listen to God's voice and love people the way God loves people, all people. Who are you struggling to love this morning? Will you love them? How is God speaking to you right now? How is he showing up like the shepherd showed up, or like the angel showed up to the shepherds? What is he saying? How is he calling you right now to follow him? For some, God may simply be telling you to love them. Maybe there's somebody else right now in whom God is calling you to make Jesus your shepherd. Make Christ your shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He will not let you down. He loves you. Follow him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. As we celebrate this Christmas, we do pray that you humble us all. As we look at the baby placed in a manger, announced to the shepherds, whose life is eventually sacrificed for our sin. This morning we pray that you remind us that Christ came for all people. He came for us. He came for them. And we believe that he's coming again because of your great love. Now may we live as people who are loved and let us love and live like Christ. In Christ's name we pray, amen.